It's time for episode 242 of the Clockwise Podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, May 23rd, 2018. Clockwise, four people, four tech topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the tech show that's both timed and timeless. I'm your co-host, Dan Morin, and I am joined, as always, by my good friend, Mr. Micah Sargent. How are you doing, Micah? I'm doing so well. I'm feeling very timeless today. Oh, you're always timeless. That's, that's what I love about you. You, you stand <laughs> up. You stand the test of time. Thanks. This is, of course, the show where we talk tech with two fantastic guests to my left it is a uh, a podcaster, a technology enthusiast, uh, a self-described <laughs> rabble-rouser. Kelly Gamont is here. Hi, Kelly. Welcome back. <laughs> Hi, Dan. It's really nice to be here. Thanks for having me on the show. Of course. And to my left is information technologist and a late-night guest of Clockwise. Uh, welcome back, Dr. Michael Cowling. Hi there, Mike. Nice to be here. Great to be here after dark. <laughs> keep it we clean everybody keep it clean wait i didn't know it was after dark i just woke <laughs> up what's happening oh uh, we're spanning the time zones today all right let's get cracking i'm gonna kick things off today and i found myself wondering just sort of generally speaking with all the advances in music how do you consume your music these days are you a streaming service subscriber do you still buy uh, digital files do you listen to vinyl records or cds what is your what's your sort of default mode for listening to music kelly right now honestly it's it's a mix of both um i sort of have these piles that i like sort artists into so i do buy stuff on itunes or on amazon uh, depending and but I also buy physical media like a lot even still very recently I bought um, a couple of of CDs so I do a mix uh, but usually what happens is I will buy the CD and then I will make I will rip a copy on my computer and then I sync that over the cable like a caveman to my phone and <laughs> um, because that's my primary source of music. When I get in the car, my phone connects to the Bluetooth and plays over that. And uh, the rest of the time, uh, usually it's like within the house. Uh, if it's just a quick thing, like I'm just making some dinner real quick or something and I want to listen to music in the kitchen, I'll just use a Bluetooth speaker. Or if I want to sit down and listen to music, capital L, capital T, capital M, listen to music. Um, I have a really nice audio setup that I use for that instead. So I, I do both, but I still am absolutely buying and treasuring physical media because there's nothing like flipping through the liner notes, even if they're only CD sized. Excellent. <laughs> um, I, I only listen to music on, on streaming devices. I have a few albums that I've purchased in the past, and there are a few albums that I love that aren't available on streaming, namely the very, very good album from Beyonce, Lemonade. Um, so that one had to be purchased. But other than that, I listen to music on both, yes, because I'm, as I mentioned before, a horrible person, on both Apple Music and Spotify. I love <laughs> Spotify's uh DJ, it, like Spotify just gets me. It just gets me. It knows what I want. It, I can hit play and it can play all day and it will always be right. And Apple Music cannot do that. Uh, so Apple Music is more my when I'm being picky and I just want to listen to an album straight through, then I use Apple Music for that. But otherwise, if I'm just like, all right, I want a day full of jams, then I head over to Spotify, my, my DJ who understands me. What about you, Michael? 
Well, uh, like you, Micah, this uh, question gives me a little bit of Apple guilt, I guess, uh, because my platform of choice is also Spotify. Um, and the reason why is because of availability. Uh, we use Google Home here, and uh, you can't do Apple Music on Google Home. So if you want to be able to shout at your smart speaker and get it to play music for you, then you've got to pick a service like Spotify. And so we've slowly transitioned away from Apple Music, and I actually signed up for a premium account last month. Uh, but I actually find this is a real problem for us uh, because we have an older car that doesn't work so well with uh, streaming devices or iPhones and so we want to put everything onto our iPod and plug it into the car and what happens is we can't actually do that very well these days because of course we don't actually own any of the music and so I, I like Kelly I find myself occasionally downloading things from iTunes or, or wherever just so that they can go onto the iPod and I can actually listen to them on the car otherwise uh, I don't have any music to listen to as I'm, as I'm driving around after dark. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, uh, like Michael, this the smart speaker sort of uh, revolution, as it were, is what has become sort of a defining characteristic for me in terms of my music usage. I was a, you know, iTunes proponent for a long time. I was kind of slow to sign, sign up to any streaming services, but I ended up signing up for and I use pretty frequently Amazon Music because it integrates with not only my Echoes, but also the Sonos speakers I have. Uh, so this is, does mean that the the HomePod, which is sitting on my desk, is a little less useful because without Apple Music, it can only play stuff from my iTunes Music Library, which is, you know, I have a decent amount of stuff there and I still buy things there from time to time. But I've definitely noticed that as streaming has made music so more broadly available that I, I buy way fewer things. It tends to be only the occasional soundtrack album that I know that I'll listen to a million times and I just want the convenience of having it in the music app. Uh, I think if Apple Music had a little more availability, like Michael said, that I might be more tempted to subscribe there instead of to Amazon Music, uh, just because the integration's a little better, the um, UI's a little better and all of that. But Amazon Music works pretty well for my needs right now and it's comparably priced. So I've, I've been converted to the streaming dark side. Thank you all for your <laughs> thoughts on that. Let's go to our second topic, which comes from Kelly. So I just wanted to, um, I guess, jump ahead a couple of weeks and talk for a minute about what we're going to see from WWDC this year. Um, what we are going to see uh, doesn't even correspond with what Apple's going to announce, which is kind of the reason I wanted to talk about this a little bit. Um, what you're going to see is whatever Apple announces, and it doesn't matter what it is, if it's a new Apple Watch, if it's a new iPhone, or a new iPad, or a new laptop, or a new Mac Pro, or a new HomePod, or new HomePod socks, or <laughs> an iPhone ten Hi-Fi, or like literally whatever they announce, you are going to get people who are going to tell you that uh, whatever Apple did is either not innovative enough... Or why are they just innovating all the time instead of making everything better that they already have, which is clearly broken. And either way, Apple is doomed. Mm -hmm. And mostly, mostly I find this frustrating because it doesn't seem like those people are going to be evaluating that technology on its own merits instead of like, hey, you know, it's kind of nice that Apple has decided we've got some issues and instead of like adding new stuff that we're going to have to try and troubleshoot and support and integrate into the operating system, whichever one we're talking about, um, we're going to spend this release refining all of that stuff. You know, the snow leopard release, we've started calling it now. And it's interesting to me that no matter what Apple does, it's always the wrong move. Like every June we get that wave of 
think pieces about Apple being doomed. And, you know, I've been listening to people tell me this for like 20 years now. And it seems like whatever it is Apple's doing is is somehow magically, I guess, at this point, because it's been long enough, not dooming them. So, um, like, I don't get where the anti-Apple stuff comes from. And like, if I understood it and didn't agree, that would be one thing. But like every year we're going to get, we get this wave of press in June about how like, it doesn't matter what Apple just announced because they're doomed anyway. And, and, and I kind of just wanted to be cranky about it. For a minute. So, uh, because, because like I said, it's not like I understand what you're saying and I don't agree with you. It's, I don't understand where this is coming from. To put it uh, bluntly, I think WWDC always ends up disappointing uh, a larger group of people. The reason why is because WWDC focuses on software. And people really like things they can hold in their hands and touch and feel. And remember, mm-hmm. this is late night clockwise. Uh, so they really <laughs> want those, those, those things they can buy and have and hold and hug. And software just isn't that. And so when they look back on what was announced at WWDC... That doesn't quite click, you know, oh, okay, so now my Mac can do this, that and the other. But what's new? What new product am I going to get? And I think that that does play into some of the the griping and complaining that's there. And ultimately, yeah, the, the fact is, it's exhausting that no one is ever going to be happy. And so I just sort of try to... Oh, you know, just ignore the griping altogether and just just take everything <laughs> for what it is, because inevitably, no matter what, there will always be someone or someone's complaining about it. And like I said, the expectational debt uh, that exists every time there's an Apple press event leaves people going well, what new thing can I buy? And when it's just free software updates, then mm-hmm. it's not as fun. So I think the onus is a little bit on those of us who work in the the Apple press sector, so to speak, to be able to uh, communicate the fun new things that Apple announces and how they will make what you already have all the more awesome. What are your thoughts, Michael? Oh, yeah. Look, I think uh, no matter what, Apple is screwed. If they, if, they have a, if, they, if, if they have a quiet release, then everybody says, as Kelly said, oh, where are all your new features? This is ridiculous. Weren't you supposed to launch four new iPhones at this point? You know, but uh, if they have a, a big blockbuster release, uh, then everybody complains about how things are a little bit raw around the edges and, and maybe not quite finished. And so I think see, either way, they're, they're perhaps a, a little bit screwed. Uh, but here's an interesting thought. I wonder whether or not maybe this is because they've changed their event schedule a bit over the years. Uh, those of us that have followed Apple for a while remember that they used to have an event at the beginning of the year. Uh, Macworld used to be sort of right at the beginning of the year. Now, we all sort of end up waiting until June uh, for some Apple news. And so I wonder whether the general public has sort of a pent-up uh, anticipation for what Apple is going to do. The first big Apple event these days is is often uh, not until the middle of the year, and so they're waiting anxiously for uh, for that news. And then all of a sudden, as Micah said, they just get told about features that they can expect in iOS 12 in in three or four months, and they go, "Wow, this is this is not what I was expecting at all." And so, uh, so yeah, I, I I agree with Kelly. No matter what they're they're, they're doomed, but uh, but maybe maybe there's a thought there for a, a little more Apple news a little bit more often to try and solve that. 
Yeah, I mean, part of it is a problem of scale, too, right? Like, back, at, you know, 20 years ago, there was a small group of people who cared about what Apple did. Now they're the biggest company in the world, and everybody is watching them. And another part of his trajectory, uh, nobody believed that this company would keep going up as long as it has, right? I mean, the, the heights to which they are reaching, I mean, we were talking about a trillion-dollar valuation recently, is just kind of unprecedented. And so to that uh, sense, you know, to that extent, people are always looking to write stories about you know, sort of the inevitable downfall, like the feeling being that what must what goes up must come down eventually, right? Right? Uh, and so, you know, I think they keep going back to that well, because sooner or later, the I guess they'll feel like they'll be right, and then they'll pat themselves on the back for getting it right that one time. Um, I don't know. I, I think it's just expectation. I think some of it is that people just love to hate Apple as a company, and I, I kind of get that. I mean, I get that people have strong feelings about it, and anytime it engenders strong positive feelings, there's always going to be sort of the the yin and yang of the strong negative feelings to try and count and balance, counterbalance it out. So I, I kind of see that that is always that that is the fate of Apple uh, is to always have a little bit of balance between that. Um, but we'll all see in a couple weeks. Until then, though, let us go to halftime. This episode of Clockwise is brought to you by Away. Away are a team of thinkers, seekers, and designers. That's why they make smart, premium suitcases so your luggage doesn't cost more than your plane ticket. And what do you need most while you're traveling? More battery. When you buy an Away suitcase, you can charge all your devices while you travel. Both sizes of their carry-on feature USB ports with a battery large enough to charge your phone five times from a single charge. Go to awaytravel.com slash clockwise now and browse Away's suitcases featuring premium German polycarbonate, which is unrivaled in strength and impact resistance, and yet still lightweight. Choose from over 10 colors and five different sizes, the carry-on, the bigger carry-on, the medium, the large, or the kids carry-on for the smaller tra- travelers among us. And they cut out the middleman so you can get first-class luggage, first-class luggage at coach prices. Away suitcases have a patent-pending compression system, which is great if you're an overpacker, along with four 360-degree spinner wheels. Away's carry-ons are compliant with all major U.S. airlines while still maximizing the amount you can pack. TSA combination locks are built right in. They feature a removable, washable laundry bag so you too can separate your clean clothes from your warm ones. Uh, and I, I have one of these. I took it recently on a trip out to L.A., and I was very impressed with the amount of stuff that I could fit into it. What in particular I like is that there's like one side has this little mesh zipper compartment, which is great for putting in those like bulky items that aren't as squishable. So like I was going to a wedding. I had to bring a pair of nice shoes to wear. And rather than sort of cramming it in with all my clothes and possibly getting like, you know, gross dirt all over my clothes from the soles of my shoes, I instead, you know, put them in that little zipper compartment. It was very nice. Uh, so I'm a big fan. I also really like the the spin them, the 360 degree wheels. This is my first time having luggage with that. And it was just so much easier to walk down corridors rather than dragging a big thing with me. So I, I'm a big fan of that as well. And I look forward to using it to my trip to WWC in a couple of weeks. Away believe in the quality of their products, so they offer a lifetime guarantee. If anything breaks, they'll fix or replace it for life. And they also have that 100-day trial with a no-questions-asked return policy with free shipping on any order within the lower 48 states of the U.S. Travel smarter with a suitcase that charges your phone. To find out more about Away, go to awaytravel.com slash clockwise. And if you use the code clockwise at checkout, you'll get $20 off any of their suitcases. That's awaytravel.com slash clockwise and the code clockwise for $20 off. Thank you so much to Away for the support of this show and Relay FM. All right, halftime is over. Micah, kick us off here. You know, also, if you're super into watermelons, they're big and not very squishable, so you might be able to put those in the mesh compartment. It's a good idea. I'll have to keep that in mind. 
Good, good. Uh, so Apple's new privacy and data tool just went live this morning uh, in the EU, but not yet, or yeah, in the EU, but not yet over here. Uh, you can actually go in and download your data. Uh, they will send you a big old file that's got all the data stored about you, and you can you can sort of peruse through and see what's been shared over there. I'm curious. Uh, these have been going live across many different services, uh, Instagram, Facebook, et cetera, et cetera. Do you go through and download your data? And then whenever you do, you know, peer through these things, does it make you feel better or worse? Michael, we'll start with you. Uh Totally worse. Totally worse. You look at the data and, and you think to yourself, geez, did I, did I really do that? And wow, do they really have that information about me? Uh, I actually do this in my ethics class that I teach a couple of times a year. Uh, when we talk about privacy, I say to my students, take out your phone in class, uh, go to location services and go to frequent locations on your phone. And at that point, they realize how much data their phone is logging about them. And you can see all of their faces drop as they see all of those frequent locations and perhaps some locations that they maybe didn't want to have indicated as being somewhere that they've been in 20 times in the last 12 months, for example. And uh, I don't know why. I then ask my students, why do we feel so weird about this? And uh, it's not like we don't know that our phones are storing this data about us, so clearly they have a GPS. I think it's just having all of that data presented in front of you uh, makes you feel a little bit icky about the amount of data that that uh, companies are actually storing about us. It's like uh, when people think about the ability of a Nest thermostat, for example, to keep track of the temperature of your house, and, and they don't worry so much about that until, for instance, you show them a report and say, well, this this will now give me an idea of when you get up in the morning and when you go to bed at night and uh, all of that information, and they start to realize what people can actually do with that data. You know, the thing that makes me feel bad about it is I look at it and I go, what have I been doing with my life? Why, why am I spending all this time... <laughs> No, um, I used the Facebook one out of interest when they um, put that up a few months ago. I don't use Facebook that much, so there wasn't a lot in there that made me feel like, oh my God, all this stuff. But there were like, you know, text of chat conversations I had 10 years ago when I was first using Facebook. And I was like, that's a little weird. Um, Google's is just mind boggling. Uh, I think especially because they've started to really synthesize all their data from their disparate services. So like they'll show you like, you know, oh, you went, you requested directions to this place. Therefore, we knew you were at this place. And then when you were there, you were Google searching this stuff. And it's like, oh, oh, that's weird, right? Because they they permeate so much of our life that they can start drawing all these inferences, like Michael was saying, with the temperature and figuring out where you can get up, but but even more longitudinally, since they're sort of cutting across all these different things. Uh, as for Apple, I'm kind of interested just because Apple makes a big deal about not storing a lot of your data and about respecting your privacy. So I'm curious to know what this information comprises uh, and whether I will feel as as disturbed by it as I am in some of these other circumstances. But again, you know, we do know this is happening. And we also know that some of this is a trade off for having these technological conveniences. It doesn't mean that we should allow companies to get away with things that are sort of beyond a reasonable uh, need for for storing or retaining this data. But you know, some of this is the cost of doing business. And that's the deal that you made when you signed up because you may not have read all the small terms in the, ter the agreement that you, uh, you clicked through so quickly. So some of this is on us too. That's kind of how I feel. Kelly? I'm, I'm with you on that. You know, um, it's, it's sort of one thing to 
to allow a company to know a certain amount, you know, um, it's, it's the whole security convenience thing that we've talked about for ages, you know, when it comes to technology and, you know, you see, you know, in, when I was a kid, we used to see stuff about the future and, you know, and it was great because like ads were directed right at you because everybody knew who you, who you were and what you liked. And so you only got ads that were relevant to you. And that's amazing. And then we got to the point where it was, yeah, but remember who you're handing all that information to so that all of those ads can be what you want them to be. Wait, 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 what? So, like, that's sort of where it ends up. And there's going to always be this tension. And the thing that I thought was really interesting after people started sort of having questions about um, doing this, you know, like, who is that company and why do they need all of my location information all the live long day? You know, like, once you like, you know, we didn't really think about that when we were doing all that stuff about the future. You know, it wasn't like, yeah, and you know, that company might be mildly evil and that company might be doing something a little bit unsavory with the data that they have about you. You know, like that part never showed up in any of those stories and, and TV shows when we were kids. So, um, so that I think is part of the part of the issue with this is a, you know i mean one of the thing one of the big headlines i saw come out of google io is that don't be evil isn't in their mission statement anymore yeah so like hmm why is that well it's because it shouldn't it should never have said don't be evil it should have said don't get caught because that's <laughs> ooh uh, <I> snap <laughs> well it's am i wrong i'm not wrong everybody made very good points about this i think we all feel pretty similar about it um you, you can feel kind of help, helpful, no, helpless in <laughs> using these services and feeling like you can't, you can't use these services without giving up a part of yourself in a way, and it's very strange, and it's not great. And I think as long as we continue to be aware of it and try to push back when companies go too far, then it will continue to be... Uh, I think that we can sort of fight back. It's it's the moment whenever everybody just sort of gets complacent in the, oh, well, this is the price we pay every single time. That's whenever companies start really pushing things and suddenly we don't have any control over it. So GDPR, awesome. Let's keep, you know, trying to maintain or gain control of our data and if that means downloading all of my stuff and seeing every time instagram knew that i went to some restaurant uh, no i don't take pictures of food that's ridiculous uh but anyway <laughs> that, there, there's my hot take to leave it on i don't understand food photos all right michael let's have your topic okay so as kelly said uh wwdc is just around the corner and uh, as she said, while all the rumours point to a sleepy Snow Leopard-style release, uh, something that I'd really like to see is more consistency in concept between my Apple devices. So whether we're talking about the same Siri everywhere or consistent app names across platforms or even just a consistent font choice, uh, what's the one thing that you'd like to see more coherent across all of your Apple devices? Well, you mentioned it right there, and it would be definitely be Siri. Uh, having Siri be consistent across all my devices would be really nice, and really having Siri become more of a single entity that is just accessible by my devices rather than feeling like, oh, I've got a Siri on my Apple TV, I've got a Siri on my watch, I've got a Siri on my HomePod, um, and trying to remember what things can be done in various places. So, you know, I can't work any of my home automation stuff from Siri on the Mac. Why? 
Um, it doesn't, doesn't really make sense to me. Uh, Siri on the HomePod tries to intercept a lot of requests that it knows it can't handle, like asking it to open an application. Uh, why? It should be able to say, like, oh, I've opened that application on your uh, iPhone for you. Uh, just having it feel more intelligent and more cohesive and more like a person assistant that I am talking to that is doing the things I need an assistant to do rather than an impediment uh, in trying to remember, oh, well, can I make a phone call for my HomePod or now, you know what? Never mind. I'm just going to make a normal phone call. Um, so, yeah, I, I'd love to see more Siri consistency across all of the platforms. Kelly? Um, I want notification consistency in the way that you want siri consistency um i want if i dismiss a and maybe i'm just having some sort of technical issue that i've never figured out but i know other people who have the same issue kind of issues that i do i want whatever screen is awake to be the one that gets the notification and if i dismiss it there i don't want to have to dismiss it again from my other screen and my other other screen and my other 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 screen (laughs) because that's where it ends up like i understand that most stuff is supposed to come to my watch because that's what's on my arm and like you know the most awake and accessible and whatever but if i get a text message and it shows up on my watch and i reply from my watch you know i tap one of the little automated replies or whatever like that loop is closed i don't have to worry about that anymore but then i go to my computer and my computer's like you have messages and then i pick up my phone and my phone's like you have messages and i'm like no i don't anymore like we did this i was there and that's the thing that i find really frustrating especially because like airdrop has gotten better so i know there's like situational awareness between the stuff that I have and how it's all connected together. And so like, I know that my phone knows, Hey, there's a computer over there and it has the same Apple ID and there's a watch over there and it has the same Apple ID. And like, I want all of these things to work together a little bit better. I'm just going to repeat. I want, want, want Siri to be consistent, especially the fact that I cannot control my home stuff on my Mac. It's just ridiculous. So I'm just reiterating that. <laughs> Any last thoughts, Michael? So, yeah, look, I think uh, Dan and Mikey, you sort of stole my favorite answer, which is that I want a home app for the Mac. Uh, I, I would love to do it on Siri, but I also want an app for my Mac. And it's just because I love that idea of a control center for my entire house in front of me sitting here at my desk, right? You know, the the kids are being difficult in the living room. I just press a button on my Mac and all of a sudden the television goes off. You know, it's great. <laughs> Right, you know, and and I'm I'm amazed that we don't currently have a, a home app for the map Mac. So it's either that, or uh, as Kelly mentioned earlier, I want a sock for everything: a sock for my HomePod, a sock for my iPod. You know, I reckon we can put them on eBay on five years in five years and make a fortune as a limited edition item. Yeah, I look forward to Apple's new sock drawer storage yes. compartment. It'll be great. Thank you. That is our last topic. we got just enough time for a bonus topic. This episode of Clockwise is brought to you by RX Bar. The folk, folks at RX Bar couldn't find a protein bar out there that wasn't full of artificial ingredients and preservatives, so they decided to make one. RX Bar is a whole food protein bar made with 100% whole ingredients. They want to be transparent and upfront with their customers, which is why they label the core ingredients on the front of the package, along with all the ingredients that make up texture and taste on the back. The team at RX Bar found creating a bar made from real whole food ingredients tastes better than anything out there. They just didn't add fillers or additives, all that other stuff. Whether you like sweet or savory, chocolate or fruit flavors, there's an RX Bar for you. They come in 11 delicious varieties, and as of May 14th, there are three new flavors. Mango, pineapple, peanut butter and berries, and chocolate hazelnut. They're gluten-free, soy-free, dairy-free, no added sugar, no artificial colors, artificial flavors, fillers, or preservatives. And they use egg whites for protein, dates to bind, and nuts for texture. 
RX bars are great for breakfast on the go, snacks at the office, travel, hiking, or before or after your workouts. I've got a box of these they very nicely sent me, and I really like the chocolate and sea salt flavor. I did not think liking a protein bar was something that was going to be happen, but you know what? Sometimes when you need a quick snack, uh, I was around in uh, Disney World, Disneyland the other week, and uh, sometimes you just need a compact snack that you can you can carry around and, and scarf down so you've still got enough stamina to go on all those rides. Uh, the wonderful people over at RX Bar have a special offer for listeners of this show. For 25% off your first order, visit rxbar.com slash clockwise and enter promo code clockwise at checkout. That's rxbar.com slash clockwise and promo code clockwise at checkout for 25% off. We'd like to thank RX Bar for their support of this show. And now, the bonus topic. Very, very quickly, it is summer, a time of big blockbuster movies. Is there a film that you are looking forward to? Kelly? Solo. Honestly, that's the the one I'm looking forward to the most because in the Kelly universe, uh, there's Star Wars and then there's everything else. Mine is going to be Incredibles 2. I saw Incredibles when I was uh, far more of a youngster, and so it has, holds a special place in my heart. And I'll be batting aside all the tiny children so that I can see <gasps> this film because it was made for me. Darn it. Kidding, kidding. I love kids. That was a joke. But uh, yeah, Incredibles 2. Uh, mine is uh, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom because uh, Goldblum. We we have to have Goldblum. And I may or may not have a injured Ian Malcolm pop figurine staring back at me right now. <laughs> On brand. On brand. Uh, and I'm a sucker for the Mission Impossible franchise. I really loved the last couple movies and there's a new one coming out. And I'm I'm excited. I'm excited for that. I like impossible missions. That's why I do this show every week. Uh, Thank you all for your thoughts on that. And we've reached the end of our show. All that remains is to thank our guests. Kelly Gamont, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. And Michael Cowling, thank you so much for joining us again, again, late at night. We'd love to have you here. Not a problem at all, Michael. And that was much less after dark than I expected it to be. There you go. (laughs) And Micah, our listeners' mission, should they choose to accept it, is to come back next week. But until then, remember, (laughs) watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Bye, everybody.